Well, good morning, everyone. All right, that's good. I wonder if I didn't put my hand here, would you have said it that loud? I don't know. I don't know. Well, as I've already been introduced, my name is Jackson Moser, and I'm, I'm grateful and humbled to be able to be here before you today with one job, and that is to rightly divide the Word of God, that uh, you, the people of God, might be encouraged and edified to fulfill the mission of God. And so to that end, I'd like to start by reading His Word, uh, as it's recorded in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, and then I'll pray and share a few thoughts. So if you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn there to John chapter 12. Uh, The clock says 29 minutes. Can you just make that 59 minutes? That would be... I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Here we go. The Gospel according to the Apostle John in the 12th chapter says, Six days... Before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, classic, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrant fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Verse 9, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Friends, could we have a word of prayer this morning? Father, your word has been read, and uh, I cling to the promise that as it has gone forth, it shall not return void. Hide me behind the cross, dear Lord. I need you, Holy Spirit. I need you, Holy Spirit, to preach only what you would have me say, nothing more and nothing, nothing less. And in the words of our brother, Willie McLaren, we pray, God, that you would be glorified, your saints would be edified, Sinners would be evangelized, and that that devil would be absolutely horrified in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I have a confession to make this morning. I can't cook. I can do breakfast all right. I burn most of the pancakes, to be honest. But outside of uh, grilled cheese, frozen chicken nuggets... And quesadilla, and and to be honest, even with quesadillas, my wife would tell you that um, my quesadilla skills have actually improved over the years that we've been together. I remember when we were dating, we were hanging out at her mom's house one evening, and she was hungry and asked that I make her a quesadilla, and so I did. Admittedly, it was probably my first time doing so, and uh, what she got was just soaked in grease from the amount of butter that I used. Just soaked. She promptly threw it away and made one for herself. 
That was the last time she ever asked me to make her a quesadilla. Needless to say, Sarah, my wife, is the cook in our family, and her Italian blood makes her cooking just absolutely delicious. But here's the truth. As much as that confession is true that I can't cook, I also have to admit that I want to be able to cook. I want to know how to do that. There's just something that intrigues me about the science that goes into following instructions. I'm not good at following instructions. If I were, I could probably cook, right? I want to be good at it, and since our smartphones can seemingly read our minds, I end up with a lot of videos on my various social media platforms that are about cooking. But also, I get a lot of sports clips, too. Since it's football season, I see a lot of football clips. I, like many of you, saw 1,700 videos of Miami's quarterback going, getting tackled last week and his hands just locking up. Many of you probably saw that. Another one that I saw was a series from quarterback Matt Stafford's last season as a Detroit Lion. The title of this video was the longest uninterrupted clip in NFL history. It was four minutes and 17 seconds long. Longest uninterrupted clip, okay? And in this clip, the Detroit Lions were trailing the Cleveland Browns by six points with about 20 seconds left in the fourth quarter. The Lions complete a pass downfield to put them within yards of the end zone. But just after getting this pass off, Stafford, the quarterback, is just pummeled by a defensive lineman. And he goes down, and, in, and, and when he gets tackled, his shoulder gets separated. Camera zooms in on Stafford, writhing in pain on the ground. The medical team comes and assists him off the field. Well, interestingly enough, for whatever reason, the Browns decide to call a timeout. Okay, and when, when Stafford hears the whistle blown as he's being checked by the medical staff on the sideline, he realizes when the whistle sounds that they've called a, a timeout, there's a stop in the play, so he's eligible to go back and he doesn't have to sit a play out. And so realizing this, he pushes with one arm pushes the medical staff off of him. He says, get off me. I'm fine. I want to go back in. He jogs over to his coach. He says, coach, I'm fine. Put me in. Let me pass the ball. His coach obliges. With eight seconds left on the clock, Matt goes under center, snaps the ball, drops back, and throws a game-tying pass into the corner of the end zone. Jogs off the field, still groaning in pain from his shoulder being separated. The medical staff attend to him once more as he watches his kicker kick the game-winning point-after attempt. Matt jumps up and down. Celebration. Only able to throw one arm up in the air for the celebration. As he went back onto the field to shake hands with the players, the commentators were saying things like this. What a show of determination. That, that's the definition of grit right there is what they were saying. They said, listen to this, I've never seen so much devotion in all my years. Devotion. They use the word devotion. That's an interesting word to use. Matt Stafford may have demonstrated devotion that night on a football field in Detroit, but what I hope is that this morning's text will help us display devotion on the field of life wherever we may find ourselves in an act of worship to the Lord. As you know, we're in this series called Spirit and Truth, where we're considering the different places and spaces where we worship in our lives. And so if you're taking notes this morning, let's consider number one, worship is the product of transformation. 
Worship is the product of transformation. In the story, Mary is kind of the main character. She's the one whose actions we are considering. And what do we know about this woman, Mary, who pours out expensive perfume on Jesus' feet? Well, at the very least, we know that she is Mary, the sister of Martha, who were the two sisters of Lazarus. Lazarus, we know from just the chapter before, was dead for four days. And then Jesus raised him from the dead. Mary, Mary was there for that, friends, when Lazarus, her brother, was raised from the dead. She had the stench of death in her nostrils, that of her dead brother, when she heard the words of Jesus, Lazarus, come out. And at the word of God, life came. In an instance, the, when God spoke, in, in, in this instance, he didn't say, let there be light. He said, let there be life. Lazarus, come out. The chains of death were unleashed. Mary, she was there for that. I can't be sure, but I'm certain that Martha, her sister, probably told her of the conversation that she and Jesus had just had right before Lazarus' resurrection. Again, I can't be sure, but if girls then were anything like girls today, they talked, right? Imagine what being there was like at the tomb that day. What, what that would have been. I mean, just try to go there, brothers and sisters, in your mind's eye, what it would have been like. Now, to be sure, Mary and Martha had been following Jesus for some time. Right? They had they'd seen, or, or at the very least, heard about blind men receiving their sight. Lame men just jumping up and walking like they had been their whole life. Lepers being cleansed. Demon-possessed people being freed exercise. They were familiar with the miraculous that Jesus worked. But this was different, wasn't it? Right? This was personal. This was their brother. This was close to home. This was, like there were some more strings attached here than just some random dude on the side of the road who Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. This was their brother. It was personal. Many of you have had a family member, spouse, loved one, passed away. And you know the grief. You know the hurt. The pain. The sorrow that reaches to depths that you didn't even know were there in your heart. And what if, just in an instant, all that was overturned? In an instant, with a single word, they, they were back. That person that had passed was back. I mean, that would do something to you, right? That, I, I, feel like, I feel like there's one thing for sure, okay? If that were to happen in your life, someone very close, very intimate, very personal in your life, if they were dead and then all of a sudden they were back, I don't think very many of us would just kind of like shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's pretty cool. We're not, we wouldn't be casual about something like that. That's not normal. That's not expected. That's not natural. Mary was there for that. It changed her, transformed her. But let's, let's consider for a moment another layer to this. Some scholars 
Many early Christians believe that Mary of Bethany, the Mary in this passage, is the same woman that's referred to elsewhere as Mary Magdalene. There's lots of passages that people point to that could suggest this connection, and let's just say for a moment it's true. According to Luke's gospel, Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. The ESV says, a woman of the city, a sinner. In a similar scene, this promiscuous, sinful harlot enters Jesus' presence as he's dining with a Pharisee, one of the religious elite of the day, and begins weeping at his feet, wiping his feet with her hair, anointing him with oil. The Pharisee is indignant. He's outraged that this woman would be in their presence, would be touching a man who isn't her husband, and he commands her to leave. But what does Jesus do? Jesus, compassionate and kind, commends this woman and turns to the Pharisee and says, what she did, you ought to have done. She's shown mercy. She's shown honor. But, but wait, there's more. Just a chapter later in Luke, we're told that this sinner, who we understand to be Mary, had seven demons exercised from her by Jesus. Many of us can't fathom that. Many of us have probably never seen what a demon-possessed person looks like. It's horrifying. Not just one, seven the word of Jesus come out she's freed again I don't think she was like thanks bro it it transformed her right she's not only shown mercy and honor she's restored she's redeemed in a word she's transformed these moments were defining moments for Mary it's It's presumable that these moments were the moments where she she leaves her life of sin and and, and commits to following Jesus. Her heart was transformed and so was her entire life. And in our text for today, we see the result of transformation is this act of devotion, this act of worship where she anoints her master in an act of extravagance and humility and unashamed adoration. Brothers and sisters, have you been transformed by Jesus? If you have been transformed by Jesus, then worship in spirit and in truth is the result of that transformation. Listen, you cannot worship in spirit and in truth unless you have been confronted by the compassion and kindness of Jesus displayed most prevalently in his crucifixion and resurrection. You just can't worship in spirit and truth unless you've been confronted by those realities. Here's the deal, friends. Jesus doesn't care about the changes that you make in your behavior unless he has already changed your heart. And that's something only he can do. There's a lot of people who look the part, right? They wear the right clothes. They say the right things. They do the right stuff. But what does Jesus teach in Matthew chapter 7? He says on that day there's going to be many people who come. And they say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things. We cast out demons, we did the miraculous, we did all these things. I went to church, I put on my suit jacket, I didn't say any bad words, I I was a nice person, I was a a good person, and what's Jesus going to say on that day? Be gone from me. I never knew you. 
Because it doesn't matter about your behavior if you've not been transformed in your heart. Worship. Real worship only happens as a result of transformation by encountering Jesus. Number two, worship is revealing. There are three key characters in this passage. Mary, who we've talked about a little bit already. Jesus and Judas. The actions of Mary reveal one thing and the words of Judas reveal another. Mary, having been transformed by Jesus, pours out this perfume on his feet. It seems wasteful. It seems unwise. It seems foolish. It seems unnecessary. But it didn't matter to Mary. Jesus was worth it. Jesus was the most important thing in her life, and there was nothing that she wouldn't do for him. She knew who he was. She was overwhelmed in gratitude for what Jesus had done for her. Jesus understood who he was and what was happening in this moment. And all of these realities come together, leading to this act of worship and pouring out this expensive ointment on Jesus' feet. Her worship of Jesus revealed her heart. Judas, however, reveals something else. His words in response to this act of worship reveal his heart. He's upset that this would be done. He's mad that she would do such a thing. He's irritated. Why? Not, not because he has pure intentions. No, John tells us because he could have gotten something from the ointment had it been sold for money. Judas is focused on himself. Judas is concerned about his wants and his desires. That's the first sub-point here if you're taking notes. Worship reveals our desires. Our ability to worship. My understanding of worship, my definition is to rightly respond to the revelation of who Jesus is. What he's done on our behalf. Our ability to worship regardless of our situation and circumstances, it reveals our desires, right? When things aren't going your way, can you worship? When, when, your experience, when you experience setback at work, can you worship? When you're engaged in marital conflict, can you still give God praise? When you're exacerbated by parenting, can you rest in his promises? When you're entangled with all kinds of difficulties, are your eyes fixed on him? When you're engulfed in financial crisis or discomfort, do you, do you trust him? The way that we respond to these and the myriad of other experiences in life like these reveal what our greatest desires are. Like Mary, can you set the world around you aside and say, God, you be glorified. You be exalted. Or do you find yourself worried, anxious, consumed, fearful, focus on yourself, your personal comfort and convenience? Our ability to worship reveals the desires of our heart. Our ability to worship also reveals the depth of our devotion. Is our devotion to God surface level or is it the air we breathe? For Mary, Jesus was it. For Judas, not so much. For Mary, Jesus was Lord and Savior and Redeemer. For Judas, Jesus was a hopeful candidate for overthrowing Rome. And when that didn't happen, 30 pieces of silver will do for betrayal. 
For Mary, her devotion drove her to the feet of Jesus. And let me tell you, friends, feet in the first century aren't like feet of the 21st century. They were dirty. They were grimy. They probably smelled bad. There was probably mud caked under Jesus' toenails. Did Mary care? No, she did not. Because Jesus was it. He's my everything. Can you say that? Can you say that, or is there a, a cap? Like a, a ceiling of I'll, I'll go this far but no further, right? I'll go to church, but I'm not singing. I'll sing the songs, but I'm not lifting my hands, right? I'll, I'll tell somebody I go to church, but I'm only telling them if they ask. I'm not starting that conversation. Is there, is there a cap? Is there a ceiling to your devotion to Jesus? Or is he it? He's everything, right? Like, here's the reality, <laughs> I got no problem whatsoever. Well, this morning, I, I d- don't talk to me about this. It's a sore subject. But generally, I got no problem talking about the Kentucky Wildcats. No problem yelling, hooping, hollering, cheering for them. No problem whatsoever. I'll high five a total stranger at a game. But when it comes to engaging people with the gospel, the greatest news that's ever been told, I get clammy. Why? The depth of my devotion. Have the great, I can have the greatest private devotion, life, spiritual life, but if that doesn't spill over into the public sphere, what's it all for? Jesus says, go make disciples, not go sit in your house and read your Bible. Friends, you are the light of the world, Jesus says. He says a a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You don't light a lamp and put a basket over it. You put it on a stand so the whole world can see. Can I ask you, friends, this morning, what kind of lamp are you? Are you you set on a stand and the whole world knows of the love and the grace and the compassion and the goodness of God because of the way that you live your life and the words that you use? Or, regrettably, are you more like a lamp that's been put under a basket? the depth of our devotion how far are you willing to display your devotion to Jesus your worship reveals the depth of your devotion third your worship reveals your deliverance Mary had been delivered her worship revealed that Judas had not his response revealed accordingly what about you can the world tell that you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into his marvelous light by the way that you live your life by what you give your attention to by what you spend your extra time on by what you spend your money on by how you treat your spouse by how you invest and raise your kids by how you treat other people and by how you respond to hardship and difficulty your worship should reveal the realities that in Christ you have gone from death to life slavery and sin to freedom in the spirit from hopelessness to hopefulness from sorrow to joy your life should reveal that it was true for Mary is it true for you third number three worship is costly to worship in spirit and in truth it will cost you something Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, 
inherent to following Jesus is a, a life marked by giving or giving up. Just the other day in my quiet time, I was struck by what the apostles left when Jesus calls them as it's recorded in Mark chapter 1. Of Andrew and Simon, it says they left their nets. Of James and John, it says they left their father, finances, family. In other words, comfort and convenience. If you want to worship Jesus with your whole life, it will. Brothers, not might, not could, it will cost you something. This is true of anything that's important to us, right? If getting in shape is important to us, then we will give up time or money or unhealthy foods or habits or cook out milkshakes in order to achieve that which matters most. The same is true for relationships, right? If you're married, think back to when you were pursuing your spouse. What did you give up, right, in pursuit of him or her. This is true for school. If you want to make good grades, then you're going to have to give up going out and playing wiffle ball until 10 o'clock with your neighborhood friends to focus on your schoolwork. This is true of success in the business world. If you want to be successful in that area, then you're going to have to give something up to gain something else. If it really matters, it will cost. Which then implies this question. If it's not costing you anything, do you really care about it? If your relationship with the Lord is not costing you anything, do you really care about it? And I don't mean to step on any toes or kick anybody in the shins, but that's just the word. If your relationship, if your worship, if your life that you say is devoted to Jesus is not costing you something, can we say that you really care about it? Mary didn't care how much the jar of perfume cost. It was, as Paul says, rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, her Lord and Savior. What does worship cost? Number one, it costs time. I started the message talking about how I can't cook, but I want to cook. Since I can't, Sarah does, and she does marvel marvelously at it for our family. Here's one of the things that I appreciate so much about her cooking. Not only does it taste good, but it's also very healthy. It's good for me. But in order for that to be true, she has to give up a little extra time, right? We're not popping frozen banquet meals in the microwave. No, no shame to anybody who's eaten banquet meals. That's, not, that's just not what we eat, Right? probably what I'd eat if I was single, but since I'm not, I'm eating broccoli, okay? We're having fresh veggies. She makes homemade bread. It's delicious. She makes these soups or stews or curry. I don't know what. It's delicious and nutritious, but it takes time, right? takes time and Sarah is willing to give that time because she wants the best for me for her kids she wants us as much as it is in her control to live long healthy fit lives so and so much of that comes down to the food that we eat so she sacrifices extra time in order to serve our family in that way those with spiritual ears let them hear this morning in the same way, brothers and sisters, our worship, if it really matters to us, will cost 
time. We're not rushing in and out of the worship service, right? We're not checking our watch during our Bible study time. We're not quickening on a conversation with someone who's hurting because it's inconvenient to our schedule. We're not just zipping through our Bible reading plan for the day so that we can check it off. We're not hastening through prayer so that we can just say that we did it. It's going to cost time. We're going to slow down. We're going to find every opportunity we can to worship God, nurture our relationship with him. Let me, let me just try to paint another food picture here. I know you're all hungry. Me too. You don't put Wagyu in a microwave. Right? Like you don't put this amazing chuck roast in a microwave for 10 minutes and expect it to be delicious. You, you put it in the slow cooker. Similarly, friends, you know how delicious that pot roast is when it comes out? It just, like, it just melts in your mouth. You tear it apart with a fork. It's amazing. We should approach our relationship with Jesus, our worship of God the same way. Real worship will cost time, but it'll be so worth it. It also costs our talents. If you're taking notes, talents, true worship will cost your talents. How many of you know that you have been uniquely gifted with talents and abilities by the Lord? Right? You, you know where those come from? God. You know who those are for? God. From God. For God. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the unique ways that you and I have been wired and gifted are redirected, realigned from serving me to serving God and building his kingdom. That's Romans 12, right? Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you might discern what is the will of God. This, Paul says in verse 1, is your spiritual worship. To know and to do the will of God. So are you a handyman? Give two hours a week to our facilities team. Talk to Barry. You great with kids? Talk to Tabitha or Cheryl. One of of the most beautiful expressions of this is from a man named Alan Austin. Many of you know him. For whatever reason, I believe it's because of God, he will dress up in these ridiculous Bible character costumes for preschoolers, and it is the most beautiful thing in the world because God has given him this passion and he knows no limits. He will embarrass himself for the sake of young kids knowing the word of God. Amen? You want to play a part in loving and discipling the next generation? Go find Daniel about plugging into the student ministry. You have a passion for teaching God's word, find Pat about starting, leading, or co-leading a connect group. These are just within the walls of the church. Here's the deal. Write this down. Every Christian should be serving. If you're not, there's your next step. If you're not serving in some way, your next step in following Jesus is to find a place to pour out your talents like an alabaster jar of ointment in worship to the king and the building of his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Eight, 18, or 80, I don't care, find a place to serve. At Kirkwood, we talk about being spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. Friends, how are you investing the way that God has gifted you 
into the life of the church and the advancement of his kingdom. Third, it'll cost your treasure. Judas tells us that this perfume is very costly, but Mary didn't care because the one who gave her something so much more than the cost of a jar of perfume was right in front of her face. What did he give her? He gave her life. I mean, think about this for the second. Why would you withhold anything from Jesus? And I'm not saying to be unwise or, or to, be, to be a bad steward. Wise and good stewardship, it's a biblical principle, but my goodness, church, we can be so stingy sometimes, me included. So stingy. I love the testimony from the masses at the beginning of the service. But think about the fact that the author of life who gave not a monetary payment for my ransom, laid down, but laid down his own life. That is astounding. That's, um, that's amazing. That is awesome. And the true definition of the word awesome, and to think that I would withhold anything from him as if it's mine to withhold. If we're going to worship Jesus truly, it's going to cost us earthly Treasure. I think the gospel writer Luke intentionally pairs the rich young ruler next to Zacchaeus. Because he's making a point, right? The rich young ruler goes away sad. Why? The Bible tells us because he was a man of great wealth. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, Truly I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then, like, like not even 16 verses later, Jesus is telling the story of the man named Zacchaeus, a rich man who gets it. And he gives away to anyone who he had wronged four times what he had stolen. He worships, right? This is his response. This is his right response to the revelation of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. It'll cost you treasure, earthly treasure. Here's my admonishment to you. Ask God what to give. I would say don't be satisfied with a tithe. I mean, that's good. It is biblical. But what if you asked, actually asked him, Lord, what would you have me give? And then follow through with it. Lastly, worship may cost your life. we look verses 9 through 11 when people found out what was happening they came to take the life of Lazarus and Jesus why because on account of them many Jews were believing in Jesus in my Bible I've got written next to that am I a living testimony ready to die And just before we consider our physical lives, let's consider our, lo our social lives. Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. Jesus says, whoever would seek to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Friends, I believe the days are upon us when true believers will be forced to take a public stand for their faith. It may be in the office, it may be at the clubhouse of the golf course, it may be at a restaurant, it may be whether or not to go see a particular band or artist or movie, it may be a myriad of other ways, but the days are coming when cultural Christianity will cease and true believers will have to take a stand. It's going to cost us promotions, 
and influence and status and social standing and money. But like Paul, again, we must be able to say, I consider all that garbage compared to knowing Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Is that true for your life? Are you a living testimony? I was undone a few weeks ago at the North American Mission Board's one-day training we hosted here. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on back up. One of the speakers told the story of a missionary to Fiji. His name was James Calvert. And the story goes that James and his missionary team boarded a ship on their way to Fiji. And um, they... uh, there was this, in the words of the speaker, this crusty old ship captain. And, uh, you know, he just kind of struck up conversation with James and uh, was telling him, don't you know, James, that the people of Fiji are savages? I mean, haven't you heard what they've done to people like you? Don't, don't you know what they do to outsiders and foreigners who come on their land thinking that they're going to propagate some other kind of truth or religion? I mean, they're, they're savages. They will kill you. You're going to die. And James Calvert, it said, turns to this captain and he says, Sir, we have already died. We've already died. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, you've already died. Paul says to the Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, we have already died. There is nothing that this world can take from us that we will not be repaid a hundredfold in the kingdom of God. Not even our own lives. So here's my encouragement. Pour out your lives, your whole existence, every breath that you breathe, pour it out. Give it back to God in worship. And if you're here this morning and you haven't given your life to Jesus, give your life to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. And that that doesn't mean that all your problems are going to go away. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden your life is going to be easy. Right? But here's what it does mean. It means you'll always have hope. In the best of times and worst of times, you'll have hope. You'll have purpose. And you can walk through this life, mountain highs, valley lows, everywhere in between, in the brightest of days and the darkest of night, and you can have confidence that this life is not the end. If that's you, I would encourage you during this next song, come forward. Pat, Bill, others will be here to receive you, to talk to you about what it means to Follow Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And here's the thing. Who cares who's watching? You're here for an audience of one, and he's seated on a throne. He's calling you home. He's been drawing you, friends, wooing you, loving you, beckoning you for who knows how long. But today is the day. Today is the day. You come forward. I'm going to come down here again and somebody else will be here. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've been saved, but you're still holding something back in worship. 
right? Maybe, maybe you've not made the decision to be baptized. And you just need to pour that out. Maybe you're here this morning and you've just been consuming and you've not decided to contribute to the life of the church and you need to find a place to serve. Maybe it's something else that the Holy Spirit is pricking your heart for. Maybe you just need to come, find a place at the altar, and repent. Can I tell you that revival starts with repentance? What if the people of God in this place were radical about confession and repentance this morning? Now is the time. I like this phrase, delayed obedience is disobedience. And if God's telling you to do something this morning, brothers and sisters, please, by God's grace, follow through. Let's have a word of prayer. And then you come lay down whatever it is. Father, we thank you for this morning, the opportunity to open your word. And I pray, Lord, that as I may have been speaking up here, that you, by your Holy Spirit, have been speaking out there to the hearts of people, to sinners who need to come home find grace, find mercy, find compassion. Lost people who are looking for home and love in all the wrong places. Like, here, here it is, God. In Jesus. For all my brothers and sisters, Lord, would we worship you in spirit and in truth. A promise of our life as long as we live to love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.